Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18plusbegambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. Hello and welcome to the Game Day podcast from TalkSport, the ultimate review of all the weekend's Premier League action. Alongside me, Sam Matterface this week, the European football expert Kevin Hatchard and TalkSport's Alex Crook. Wow, what a weekend. Tottenham highlight the problems Newcastle will still have to face. Manchester United fall apart at Leicester and Magic Mo elevates himself again. Stuller again, dancing into the box. He's taking on all comers. He's gone behind, past Krafkar, end up on his backside. Oh! What a goal! It's magnificent from Mo Salah. He's as mesmerising as Messi, as ruthless as Ronaldo. Magic Mo Salah is Liverpool's latest icon. Also late drama at Villa Park. Southampton find their mojo from Brogia. Leeds put in the worst performance in years. And Chelsea hang on at the Bees. Plus West Ham continue their road run. Every game assessed with the attitude of a bloke who knows he's getting the bullet, but he's getting paid £8 million anyway. It's the Premier League's best review. It's the Game Day podcast from TalkSport. This is Game Day. Ah, oh, yes, what a 48 hours that was. So many stories, so much wit, so much invention. It was two days of football that left you... As dizzy as Danny Rose after 90 minutes trying to mark Mo Salah. Uh, Kevin Hatchard, what stood out for you? Well, you've just mentioned him, Mo Salah. Another outrageously good performance. The goal that he scored was sublime. Just unbelievable footwork. But it's the confidence that he has as well. It's not just beating the defenders. It's once he comes in on his left foot, he knows exactly where he's going to put that ball. But perhaps almost as good that outside of the football to set up Sadio Mane for the opening goal of the game. And when you've got a guy in the form that Salah's in, you're always in with a shot of winning a game. Uh, Crook, you did the West Ham game on Sunday. Another victory for them and another good performance from a side that David Moyes has constructed. And another sensational display from one Declan Rice, who I think could walk into just about any team in the Premier League, if not in Europe right now. But for me, the highlight of the weekend, big win for Southampton, must-win game against Leeds, comfortable win in the end, delighted for Ralph Hasenhutl. Yeah, have you sort of thought about dressing like Ralph now? Because, you know, this whole sort of new wardrobe thing he's got going on is pretty (laughs) impressive. Do you know what? Uh, I think uh, Darren Ambrose is sorting me out a couple of suits from uh, a certain uh, a certain suit manufacturer. So watch this space. All right, okay. Um, we must pay tribute to the medics at St James's Park who saved a fan's life uh, with their swift reaction to a medical emergency on Sunday. Another example of why we need a better understanding of how to use a defibrillator, I think. And to Sergio Reguillon and Eric Dyer who brought the matter to the attention of the officials. It was it was incredibly important. The game was delayed as a result of that, um, but. Um, yeah, it was it was a whole sort of football community thing coming together once again, and that's great news that the the, the guy has, has managed to uh, get back on their feet and they've stabilised uh, that particular supporter. Let's get to the weekend's action, where Ollie's folly makes the foxes jolly. Underway, and you're listening to Talk Sport. Grab the popcorn, turn off all distractions. The show has started. Salah again dancing into the box. He's taking on all comers. He's gone behind past Krafka. End up on his back. Oh! What a goal! It's magnificent from Mo Salah. He's as mesmerizing as Messi, as ruthless as Ronaldo. Magic Mo Salah is Liverpool's latest icon. Revin into the box, Brozier to his right, rolls him in, 1-0 Southampton. Armando Brozier, first Premier League goal for Southampton. Fantastic goal on the counter-attack from Southampton, no more than they deserved. Excellent play from Gennepo Redmond and Brozier. 
1 0 Southampton. Leicester City 1, Manchester United 1. We've seen two terrific goals here already this afternoon. Mason Greenwood strike cancelled out now by Yuri Tielemans. Manchester City 2, Burnley 0. Have to say it's been coming, Adrian. Kevin De Bruyne curls it into the bottom corner. Absolutely superb finish from Kevin De Bruyne. Manchester City 2, Burnley 0. At the end of it all, it's back-to-back goal straws for both sides. Norwich 0, Brighton 0. Free kick uh, for Wolves right now, who've just been terrific in the last 10-15 minutes or so. And it's deflected and gone in! Would you believe it? The comeback is complete! Ruben Neves with a free kick from the edge of the penalty area. Oh! to go back in front. It's an absolute stunner. What a game of the King Power, Jeff. It's Leicester 3, Manchester United 2. And just moments after United's equaliser, Jamie Vardy has smashed the Foxes back in front. Now Angolo Conte checks back onto his left foot, finds Azpilicueta, first time cross, Lukaku in there, comes out to the edge of the area, and it's bumped home by Ben Chilwell. And Chelsea leads. Leicester 4, Manchester United 2 from Saturday afternoon. And Ole Gunnar Solskjaer decided to start a half-fit Harry Maguire in one of a number of gambles that backfired on Saturday. They were so far off the pace as a team, it was like they were lucky to escape with only a two-goal deficit, really. Leicester were excellent. The high-energy pressing we expect. Crook, how much responsibility is Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's? How much belongs to Edward Wood, the owners and the board? And how much rests on some of those players? Crikey, you've asked some serious questions there. We could probably fill the whole podcast uh, with my views on the above. Uh, First and foremost, the players cannot be absolved of responsibility. The defending to a man was absolutely atrocious. Uh, There were players in the second half going through the motions, didn't show the same desire, the same determination that Leicester showed. Let's face it, this wasn't a Leicester side coming into a game in tip-top form or high in confidence, but they were made to look like well-beaters, I think the board have to answer some serious questions now. I know Kev is a massive fan of, of Jaden Sancho, and I, I believe him that he is one of the most talented youngsters in Europe, but he wasn't a player that I felt Manchester United needed at the time. I think he was a luxury signing, when the big problem is that defensive midfield area. And I've already mentioned Declan Rice. He's the player they should have been going all out for. If they couldn't get him, they should have gone for Ndidi. If they couldn't get him, they could have gone for Ibasuma at Brighton. There's no other top team in Europe that doesn't have a top-class defensive midfielder. That's a gaping hole in the squad, whether that's the responsibility of Ed Woodward or Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Only they will know. I would imagine it's probably a collective responsibility. But the decision to start a half-fit Harry Maguire, you've mentioned it. I mean, I haven't seen too many worse performances from England international defenders in the Premier League era. He was so far off the pace. I mean, the mistake he made with a pass from De Gea to just try and let the ball roll to him rather than actually going towards the ball. It was unforgivable, really. There was so much wrong with the performance and I don't want to sound like I've been beating this drum, but I have been. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has to go now. You know, this is a team that's going backwards. It certainly isn't challenging. We're going to talk about Liverpool and how good they are. Manchester City sweep teams away. Chelsea didn't play particularly well at Brentford, but they still found a way to win because they've got that character, they've got that organisation and they've got a manager who is up to the task. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer isn't up to standard now. He isn't going to get Manchester United where they want to be. I'm sorry. Great guy. Did, has done a good job to put a smile back on the face of the club after Jose Mourinho. Now it's time to hand on the mantra to somebody else. Well, the question would be who that might be. And I'll give you a couple of minutes to think about that. Because, uh, Kevin, I'm going to ask you about um, the sort of tactical aspect of, of what he's trying to do. Because he, he took charge of his 104th Premier League game at the weekend, right? He's picked up 194 points during that period. If you look at Jurgen Klopp's 104 Premier League games, his first 104 Premier League games, he picked up 196 points. There's not much difference there between the two. The difference away from the statistics is is that Klopp's tactical plan was evident. You could see what they were trying to achieve and they developed quickly with innovation from from there. Um, Are Manchester United just a, a better coach away from becoming a very good team. That seems simplistic to me. Is it that simple? Or are we in the dying embers of uh, of the Ole Gunnar Solskjaer reign? Because United 
have invested in a new structure. They've got John Murta, Darren Fletcher behind the scenes. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has been given a new contract in the not-too-distant past. They ain't ripping that up unless they really have to. So the idea of bringing somebody in and just jettisoning them into his position means that you limit the options of the people that you can bring in. For example, Antonio Conte is going to want to bring in a whole horde of staff. I don't think they're going to sanction that. So, so, so where are we? Are they just going to keep limping on with him until they get to the summer and get someone who they think they might, you know, build, who, who might fit into the system that they've created? Or, or, or are we in a situation that actually they don't know where they're going next? I think they will limp along for a while more. I think there is a concern tactically. I think if you look at that performance against Leicester, what screamed out for me was that Leicester had a clear plan without the ball. They were aggressive in the press. They set pressing traps for United all over the pitch and they were able to execute those really well. For United, it was all off the cuff. Sometimes they pressed, sometimes they wouldn't. Sometimes it was intense, but most of the time it wasn't. And that's a real concern for me. Going forward, sometimes they look electrifying. Why is that? Because they have some of Europe's best individuals in that team. They've got Cristiano Ronaldo, they've got Bruno Fernandes, they've got Paul Pogba. But is there an overall scheme for those guys to fit into? We've mentioned Jaden Sancho. He's a guy that I feel needs structure around him for him to be able to do the kind of off-the-cuff things that he does. It needs the ball to get to him quickly. It needs the ball to get to him in areas where he can isolate defenders. At the moment, that's not really happening. Part of it's down to him adapting slowly. I accept that. But I think there's a great player there that has a bit of a dysfunctional structure around him. You can't have a team in which... Jaden Sancho needs to be able to operate off the cuff. Paul Pogba needs to be able to operate off the cuff. Cristiano Ronaldo needs to be able to do whatever he wants to do because he's not going to come back and defend because he's not fit enough because he's 36 and a half years of age and he hasn't got the legs to be able to get up and down and do the work off the ball that you need someone in that position to do if you're going to be a top team and challenge for Premier League titles. You can't have a situation where Mason Greenwood can could go through games and not affect them and then all of a sudden pop up and score and you can't have Anthony Martial as your backup centre forward because he isn't good enough at putting the ball in the net so who I mean ultimately the squad seems to me to be a little bit unbalanced imbalanced however you want to say it because you've got too many really good creative um, mavericks and not enough disciplined dogged midfielders defenders that want to do the hard yards well, that comes back to the point I was making. Jaden Sancho wasn't a necessity signing. He was a luxury signing. In some ways, Ronaldo was a luxury signing. I understand the reasons for it, why they felt they had to bring him back. But he wasn't necessarily a player that United were crying out for. They already had Edinson Cavani, who's arguably more mobile um, than Ronaldo, who could fill that role. So for me, it comes back to that failure to sign a, a solid defensive midfielder because the defence isn't good enough. You know, Maguire... I think there is a player in there, but I do think his confidence has taken a bit of a battering and we saw that again at the weekend. I actually I think, f- I think if with a decent manager who understands how to put together a defence, I think that defence is going to be fine. I mean, Maguire and Shaw have been part of an England defence that you could argue isn't the most talented England defence, but they've kept more clean sheets than anybody else has ever done in an England calendar year. So they've, they've been a part of that. Who I said to you, who would you like to come in? Who could come in? Think about it carefully. Who, who do you think is a contender to replace him? Well, the obvious answer was Antonio Conte, but I take on board your, your points about the, the infrastructure that he'd require. Maybe the, the fact that football isn't really the Manchester United way and the fact that he tends to fall out with people at boardroom level. Zidane is another name, someone who's been there, done it as a player and a manager, c- can cope with egos. And I think there are a lot of egos now in that Manchester United dressing room. You know I'm a long-term admirer of Mauricio Pochettino. He's got a job and not one that he's doing particularly well in Paris at this moment in time. So th- there aren't a horde of options. But if you're asking me, is there anybody out there who, who would be a step up on it? going to sell sharp? I would say there simply has to be. Yeah, there, there, there probably is. But can you get them? And do they fit into what you're trying to do? And there's no point in changing one situation which is not going to make you any better for another. Um, you might as well just continue where you are and wait until you've got that situation that is going to bring you uh, success in the longer term because Manchester United aren't a club that want to keep changing managers every couple of years despite the fact that Claudio Ranieri tells me that is inevitable. Uh, Kevin? 
I think there are big problems in terms of recruitment, and Alex has alluded to them. The Cristiano Ronaldo deal I get, but we said at the time, did he move Juventus forward? No. They lost their league title. They were further away from winning the Champions League when he left than when he arrived. They had some really poor displays in the Champions League that he wasn't able to influence in the way that he would have. And they're bankrupt. (laughs) Well, it was a lot of money. There were big, big numbers involved. And this is a guy who is still a world-class player. It would be absurd to suggest that he isn't. But is he the right fit? And in terms of what you get from him, in terms of the numbers and the influence on the younger players... Is that worth unbalancing the rest of the team? Now, that's a debate that will rage for the next few weeks and months. But there was a gaping hole in midfield. And you can't have a situation, you simply can't, where a team that has ambitions to win the title has Nemanja Matic alongside Paul Pogba in what are effectively the two central midfield positions. You need a higher quality player than Matic if you're going to try and get away with that. I'm a massive Pogba fan, but you do need to allow him to do his thing going further forward. And the only way you can do that is with having a top-class central midfielder alongside him. So given what they spent on Ronaldo, they do have the resources to have made a top signing in central midfield they They simply haven't done it of course they did i mean they could have got ndd as you've already mentioned who's absolutely terrific at that job um rice camavinga was available i know went to real madrid in the end but you know there was an option there to to try and do a deal because he was available clearly because someone's done one um i think ultimately going forward whoever does take charge eventually and i don't think it will be anytime soon to be honest i think this is going to rumble on for a little while yet at least um, why? What, what's the cheesy grin and the thumbs up for? You're not excited by that prospect. <laughs> it's madness. Uh, you know, right. the, the, the sign of madness is keep on making the same mistakes. He's been there three years in January. No I, trophies I, won. Yeah, more bad points. performances than good. I'm sorry. You know, I know you think behind the scenes that things are possibly better than results suggest, but on the pitch. They've played well once all season. That yeah. was against Leeds on the opening day. I agree with you. And I think they, they've been dreadful this season. And they, it's obvious. It's obvious to everybody who's watching the game. They miss Fred in midfield. I mean, you know, if they had Fred in there, it would have been fine <laughs> on Saturday. Um, Leicester were excellent. Exactly what they needed. And that is a team with a plan and a way of playing. United have lost uh, and drawn at home to Aston Villa. And Everton in the last two league games at Old Trafford. Only a last-cast winner from Ronaldo saved them against Villarreal in the Champions League. Solskjaer now has got a massive week. Atalanta at home in the Champions League on Wednesday night. Then United welcome Liverpool to Old Trafford next Sunday. I'll be there for that one, and I'm sure Oli will be as well. And so will, abacus. And so will Mo Salah, who scored a terrific goal at Vicarage Road. I think Crook said it, uh, and we said it during the game. Uh, on Saturday, is there a better player in the world right now than Mo Salah? Five nil winners away at Watford. I love the way that Liverpool attacked in this game. Short, quick passes, slicing open Watford. The variation of Firmino dropping in, sucking defenders, then being there to claim a hat-trick of tap-ins. Um, it was a magnificent performance all round, Kevin. It was, and we talk about having a plan. What Liverpool do brilliantly is they make things that seem off the cuff and seem improvised that's actually a really clever plan they rehearse those movements all the time it's choreographed movement is absolutely and and it's done very very cleverly and the thing about Jurgen Klopp when you bear in mind that he actually took the Mainz job as a player and was asked as a kind of crazy idea by the then sporting director Christian Heidel who was fed up with coaches who weren't doing the job and said do you know what let's get Kloppo to do it so we rang him up and the local journalists thought it was a joke they thought it was a prank he has now become one of the great tacticians in the game and he, you can tell when he talks about football in interviews, he goes into quite specific details in his answers, I yep. always think. And this is a guy who loves the tactical side of the game. Mane, I thought, was great. I was so pleased for Roberto Firmino because he's kept on plugging away. He's finally had that heat from a rival in Diogo Jota, and I think he's responded to that really well. 
And what I also liked from a Liverpool point of view was the relentlessness. They could have easily eased off. They've got Champions League action coming up as well against Atletico Madrid. And they went, no, we'll just wipe the floor with this team. And absolutely, that's what they did. Yes, it wasn't that difficult, though, to wipe the floor no. with that team, was it, though? Because let's discuss Watford. Last year, they had the best defence in the Championship. How have it has it got to the point where they are so far off the pace that they look like they're running in a completely different race? Because they don't have too many players of, of Premier League quality. I think it's as simple as that. I think we talked about Ishmael Assar on Thursday's podcast as being a potential match winner on his day. I actually think they might struggle to keep Saar now in the January transfer. And if we're talking about possible signings that Newcastle could make at this stage and they're not going to get the the true world stars all the time in a relegation battle. I think Saar could be a, a sensible acquisition and one that would be possibly easy to prize away from Vicarage Road. But I was intrigued by Claudio Ranieri's post-match comments. We know he's always very optimistic, a, a glasses half full type character. And he said, actually, maybe it was good for me effectively to see how bad the players were and it gives us a, a, a low base <laughs> to start with. But... Um, this is a big job for Claudio Ranieri because, as I say, there's just not the Premier League quality. Um, ben Foster is, is a very good goalkeeper, but the veteran stage of his career, we talked about Saar. Defensively, I'm not sure there's too many players who would get into any other uh, Premier League team. And if you scratch on the bench, Josh King probably still trying to find his way since that failed move to Manchester United some time ago now. So it's going to be interesting to see how much money Ranieri is going to get to spend in January assuming he's still there by the way because Watford's fixture list is horrendous and if they keep on producing performances like that his tenure might be quite short Fabio Cannavaro was uh, in the stands on Saturday so you never know actually Barry <laughs> Davis and John Motson were there too they might all get a go between now and New Year um, I, I, sorry I just think I saw Craig Cathcart sliding past there he's still going I think um, um, look if you're a Watford watcher they will tell you that their model works and certainly it generates headlines. They've been in the Premier League for six out of the last seven seasons and reached a cup final. So it obviously has its merits too, but it must be hard to form bonds even amongst players because of the constant uncertainty. And one of the things that Claudio Ranieri has got to do is get in there and try and form those tight bonds very, very quickly. Because as you say, their fixture list is absolutely horrendous. They're facing everybody. I think it's, they've got eight of the top six uh, eight of the top six, six of the top eight in the next uh, two months. That's going to be really tough if they come away with nothing from those matches. They'll find themselves in a, in a very tough predicament by the time we get to Christmas. What, what what can he do? I mean, I think he has to put his hands up and say, hold on a second. You know, actually, I, I, I went in a little bit too hard, changed the defence. I mean, Danny Rose really does look off the pace, doesn't he? I mean, he looks, a, I'm being kind of, I've used that word off the pace a few times. He looks, doesn't look in the right shape. I'm not saying that he's overweight. I think he's been working in the gym because he hasn't been playing much football. And that, that bulk, that heft that he's put on has actually slowed him down quite a bit. Mo Salah gave him a three-yard head start and still beat him in a sprint race on Saturday. But I actually think you've just said it, Sam. He hasn't played a lot of football, and it shows. And that does make a massive difference in terms of rhythm, in terms of your spacing when you're trying to defend uh, against a winger, and he does look all over the place. What I would say about Ranieri is he has done this before, yep. and he did do it very successfully at Sampdoria. He went in there. Last they season, looked as though they were in thing. big, big trouble, and he steadied them. They were okay, and then they finished mid-table the following season. And he said, right, I've done my job. Two years there, that's worked out really well. So he has done this. This is a higher level uh, in terms of the gap between the team he has and you know most of the rest of the league. I think that wasn't necessarily the case with Sampdoria. So it is going to be really tough. And I think the, the big problem in terms of those really tough games early on, what you need to do with players is to show them your methods work if you're still getting smacked every game, it's very hard to win those players over if all of the things you've laid down during the week just simply don't work. Well, well that's it. They weren't getting smacked beforehand and now they have been smacked. So it's one of those <laughs> things. That we've changed the manager and we've actually got worse rather than better because they didn't play that badly uh, under Cisco Munoz. Yeah, and they look really easy to play against. That That's the problem. The one thing as a fan you want to see, even if you accept the quality is not high enough, you want to see effort, you want to see blocks, you want to see closing down. We didn't see a lot of that. No. The heads went down very, very quickly. Tottenham beat Newcastle 3-1. Look, it was a carnival day on Sunday at St. James's Park. It got off to the perfect start. 107 seconds on the clock when Callum Wilson scored from a Mankio cross. But... 
It didn't take long for the familiar frouties to be exposed, Crook, and it ended with a red card and Bruce out chance. Yeah, magnificent start. Uh, two minutes in, the new owners probably uh, were starting to believe life in the Premier League is easy. I thought it was a magnificent header from Callum Wilson, who you know is a player that I admire immensely for his movement, for his goal-scoring ability. If he stays fit, then they've got a great chance of being successful this season. If he doesn't, and history tells us that he probably won't manage to stay fit between now and May, I still think it's a big job for Newcastle. I think it's a massive decision now who replaces Steve Bruce. I think that was probably his last game in charge. But who actually wants the job? Antonio Conte has distanced himself. Jose Mourinho has distanced himself. Rafa Benitez has distanced himself. Brendan Rodgers has distanced himself. Frank Lampard's not sure. That basically leaves you with Eddie Howe probably as the only live candidate who who would jump at the chance because this is probably an interim job. We we mentioned it again on Thursday, much like when Mark Hughes was at Manchester City, that the initial job is just to keep Newcastle in the Premier League and then when the owners are really ready to invest big on big-name signings, that maybe those big-name managers will come to the party. I still think it's a dangerous scenario. I don't see them picking up many points between now and the turn of the year, whoever's in charge. And if it is Graham Jones, I'm not convinced that's the right idea either. And then in January... It's a dangerous situation when teams and players and agents know that you've got money to spend, you're desperate. You can end up signing mercenaries and that could end up going very badly for Newcastle. And, and you talk about players playing for their manager. I thought by and large, they did play for the manager. John Joe Shelby wasn't playing for his manager. That was a ridiculous tackle to make. Booked after 18 minutes uh, after coming off the bench, sent off after 24 minutes after coming onto the pitch. The second one, you know what's happening. What on earth is he doing? It's a ridiculous position to put your teammates in as well. It was a very poor decision from John Joe Shelby. There's no doubt about that. Um, You mentioned about uh, what could happen in January. You mentioned that Eddie Howe could be the only live candidate. I mean, Kevin, Eddie Howe, anybody who knows Eddie Howe knows he likes to be in, in control of absolutely everything. He wants to be in charge of the coaching, the recruitment, the website, the who's going to host the end of season dinner, everything. He's not going to get that luxury if he goes to Newcastle United. He's going to have to work in a very different way. Yeah, and that's why I would worry about it, I think, because it's so different to the experience he had at Bournemouth. Obviously, we know at Burnley it didn't work out for him. I know that's a totally different scenario, but it was very different to the experience he had at Bournemouth, and this would be you know, even more different. I think they've got big decisions to make about how the structure is going to work going forward because I actually think more important than the coaching appointment is the sporting director because they either have to decide, okay, the manager's going to have the power. He's going to be the guy that has the final say. If you're not going to go for that, then you go for the European model and you say the direction of travel is going to be set by one guy and that's going to be the sporting director and then whoever we bring in this coach has to kind of fit fit in with that framework or they're going to have to go for an all-powerful manager but they've got to make that decision and I actually think before they even start really thinking about who's going to be the manager long term that structure has to be in place because what you can't have is you bring in a guy wants to bring in all his staff has a list of signings they come in in January It doesn't really work. They stay up, but it doesn't really work in the second half of the season. And then you're in the summer and you're back to square one. So that, for me, is the most important decision. How do we do recruitment and who sets the direction of travel for the football club? They probably need 10 new players. So, like, the idea of, like, bringing that in in January ain't going to happen. So you're going to bring in five in January, probably five in... the next summer transfer window, probably another five in the in the following window. So you need someone who's going to be an overarching overlord who's got a vision of what's going to happen in 2024. Um, and then you've got to build towards that. I don't know who's available to do that. I mean, there's lots of people that are, are spoken about, but that, that that is the first appointment. And also like a chief executive for the football club, because at the moment I understand it, Amanda Staveley's running day to day. That's not really her sort of role that she wants to, to take on. So someone's got to get a grip of how to run the football club. That business side of it needs to go to someone. The recruitment and football side needs to go to somebody else and then to need to build from there. So maybe it won't be Steve Bruce's last game. Uh, Harry Kane had gone six Premier League matches without a goal before today or before Sunday. His drought-ending uh, strike was full of absolute brilliance. The arcing run, the death finish. It was Kane at his best. Thank God for VAR. 
I was just about to say the same thing. Thank heavens for the technology. It would have been a travesty if that strike wasn't allowed to stand. And I think this was Harry came back to somewhere near his best, not just the goal, the assist for Son uh, as well, the runs he was making, the dropping deep into midfield. I think 3-2 actually flattered Newcastle. It was one of the most comical own goals you'll ever see from Eric Dyer, but we won't hold it against him because, as you say, he was a hero earlier in the piece for very different reasons. But I think Nuno Espirito Santo will be pretty pleased with the performance and very pleased with the league position because whisper it quietly, Tottenham are fifth all of a sudden. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. This is Talk Sports Game Day. We own Saturdays, the biggest matches at the biggest moments. Now Angolo Conte checks back onto his left foot, finds Azpilicueta, first time cross, Lukaku in there, comes out to the edge of the area, and it's stopped home by Ben Chilwell. And Chelsea lead as we enter first half stoppage time on Talk Sports. And what wonderful goal-scoring form Ben Chilwell has found. He's now scored in his last three for club and country. And right at the end of the first period, Chelsea take what you have to say is a deserved lead. It's Brentford nil, Chelsea one. And Bumo, far side the right for Brentford. Tackled, half tackled by Loftus Cheek, but Norgard's there to pick up the loose pass. Force goes from Bumo in the penalty area. It's the post. Comes back to Force who shoots. It's blocked. How are Brentford not level? Tony Farpost oh. brings oh. up a full down. found by Chalabar. The assistant is flagging. Offside. Oh, but he's flagging for offside. And Chelsea and Trevor Chalabar maybe get away with one there. The Brentford fans all around us were up as one. If he's not offside, it's a penalty. That's a Tony's penalty. onside, so Brentford are unlucky. That is a penalty, in my opinion. Gotto scoops it high, deep to the far post. Oh. Janssen's in there! Oh. Another brilliant save! Another wonder save from Mendy! Spreading himself so bravely. Chelsea have gone back to the top of the Premier League. And my goodness, they had to grind it out here at the Brentford Community Stadium. Brentford nil, Chelsea won from Saturday night. Superman Edu Mendy making more stops than a traffic cop with a target to hit. He was magnificent. Superb agility. He needed to be as well because for the last 20 minutes or so, Chelsea were under the cosh from an energetic, bustling Brentford who had 15 shots in the second half, 12 of which came in the final 11 minutes and spent 40% of the time of the last 15 minutes inside Chelsea's final third. I mean, it was outrageous backs to the wall uh, performance by a, a team that was well, it was an odd team pick actually from Thomas Tuchel but a team that is supposed to be challenging for the league title Kevin I thought it was a terrific performance from Mendy but how many positives Brentford will take from that I mean what an extraordinary performance That it's the absence of fear that really catches the eye against Liverpool they didn't allow the heads to drop they kept on plugging away got that late equaliser obviously they wiped the floor with Arsenal and, and exposed all of their weaknesses early in the season and 
they do have a real purpose about them, a real belief about them, but they have quality as well. And if Brian and Burmo takes one of those chances instead of striking the frame of the goal a couple of times, then it's a completely different game. So this is the kind of game where Thomas Tuchel's system and the belief in the, the structure makes a big difference. Yes, they were clinging on a bit. He admitted that. It'd be foolish not to admit that. <laughs> but they will be able to grind out those wins because they have that defensive structure. Even when you drop in Malong Sar, even when you drop in Chalabar, these are guys that know what they're supposed to be doing in general. We'll send that video to uh, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer and Kieran McKenna ahead of the uh, midweek game against uh, Atalanta. Uh, does it show the mentality of title winners for you, Crook, or is it another example of Chelsea doing just about enough? I think it's probably a combination of the two, and I think Chelsea will need to raise performance levels if they are to go toe-to-toe with Liverpool and Manchester City, both of whom look pretty imperious at this moment in time. But they didn't crumble. And I think Manchester United, for example, would have crumbled. Arsenal did crumble on the opening day of the season. Chelsea held firm. I've got to say, Brentford's approach in that final 15 minutes lacked a bit of subtlety. Uh, not to sound too much like Jurgen Klopp, <laughs> Who but they cares survived. About that? But they survived that aerial bombardment, and they've got a quality goalkeeper now. And I know you've uh, been banging on about Kepa Aretha Balaga and his lack of ability for some time now. I think Edouard Mendy might just be one of the most important signings that Chelsea have made in recent years. He was absolutely sensational. Antonio Rudiger tweeting straight afterwards: How is this guy not nominated for the Ballon d'Or? Um, it was a terrific performance. Unbelievable performance, actually. It was a very weird team that Thomas Tuchel picked, bearing in mind that next week they're playing Malmo in the Champions League um, and Norwich on Saturday lunchtime. Chalaba Christensen and Malongsar at the back, a Premier League debut for him. No Mount, no Jorginho, two up top, no Havertz. I mean, some of the plus points, probably the performance of Ruben Loftus-Cheek, I think he appears to be finding himself again, and that's at a good last. thing. Uh, for Chelsea, but it's how long he sustains it for. I mean, because we've seen this before. He had a great season under Maurizio Sarri and then all of a sudden disappeared because he picked up an injury and we hadn't, you know, it was unfortunate, but didn't see him for nearly two years. Um, yeah, I was a bit surprised by the, especially the team section going forward. Werner's had another one of those games though, Kevin. I know you're a massive fan and I am trying to be too, but a couple of opportunities where he should have squared it to Lukaku, but just didn't get the pass angle right. He got himself in, caught offside, gave the ball away in the right wing position once when he shouldn't yeah. have done. You know, he seems to be working for Germany. He's got quite a lot of goals for Germany, but he's not really working for Chelsea. Sam, I'm with you this week because I looked at that performance and I really want him to do well. You guys know what a big fan of his I am. But there was a moment where the ball fell to him on the edge of the box and he leant back and boomed it over the crossbar. Oh, yeah. And he himself said, oh my God, that was what he said, and he put his head in his hands. And it's almost like there's two Timos. There's the guy who does the things for Chelsea, and there's the little Timo on his shoulder going, can you not do a bit better than that? Honestly, please. And, and it, it, for Germany, it's totally different. Look at that game against North Macedonia. Instinctive turn, brilliant. volley into the net, brilliant goal. And then moments later, curls the ball from the edge of the area just inside the far post. What I do like about him, though, and what I will always applaud him for, he'll never hide, he'll never stop trying, he'll always keep pushing and getting into those positions. But we are at the point now where he has to start taking these chances. He has to start scoring goals. He's won a Champions League, but he is at a very, very high level. This is about as high as you can get. You know, playing yep. for the Premier League title, pushing for the Champions League again. If you can't cut it, then he's going to have to They'll replace you know, you, yeah. take a back seat. Absolutely. So it's do or die now for him. It is. And um, I hope it works out for him because he is another one of those great characters who always comes out after a game, no matter what the situation, even if he's had an absolute stinker and will face it up and will deal with a question. doesn't matter how tough that question is. He'll do it. He'll put a smile on his face and he'll crack on. And I think for that reason, a lot of people wish him all the very best. Rav Harsenhutl, you would say, a Southampton manager, has been in tougher spots than this during the course of his managerial career. But he is one of four Premier League managers yet to taste victory. In it comes from Redmond, into the near post. Flicked on by Brozier and just wide of the post. He got something on it. 
at the near post, Armando Brogia into the near post. Brogia again with a header across goal and somehow it stayed at Elianussi, was a yard out, the ball went right to his head, but somehow he couldn't apply the finish and it's gone behind for a goal kick. Elianussi, if he's braver, he has to score. Driven over the bar by Gineppo, tried to get hold of it at the edge of the D but couldn't keep it down. Leads are all over the place at the back. Right, Southampton 1, Leeds nil. TalkSport 2's live commentary on Saturday afternoon. Crook texts me. I couldn't wait to text me, almost on the final whistle, to tell me he'd made a really bold prediction and I should be congratulating him on all social media outlets, telling everybody how good he was on the pod to predict that 16th place Southampton would beat 17th place Leeds United. <laughs> well, what a shock. Well done, Ralph. Look, I mean, that is up there with Brentford taking points on Arsenal on the opening day of the season. You are so facetious, but if you look at the bigger picture, it was four wins in 28 in the Premier League going into that game for Southampton. Two of the teams they'd beaten no longer even in the top flight. This was an important game for Ralph. Make no mistake about that. He was missing some big players um, as well. James Ward-Prowse is captain due to suspension. Shea Adams not fit enough after international duty. But I think they've got a potential star on their hands in Armando Broya. And I think he's a really good player, along with Liveramento, an exciting youngster they've signed from Chelsea. And I think he'll get more goals than Adam Armstrong. I think he'll get more goals than Shea Adams if he's just given a regular run in the team. Diallo came into midfield, a player that they have high expectations for down the south coast. He was excellent. And even Nathan Redman, who's coming for a lot of criticism from Saints fans due to his lack of end product, he was on his game. A clean sheet as well. Leeds were poor, barely had a shot. Southampton have got Burnley at home next. They've still got Norwich and Watford to come in this cluster of games. I think this this just could be the start of a good run for Southampton and much needed. It's funny, Kevin, because, um, you know, at the beginning of the season when I said to him, Armando Braja from Chelsea that they've signed, it's going to be a really good signing for them. And that Livramento is fantastic, by the way. They've done good business there. Um, He hasn't brought that up and started talking about the fact that I mentioned that to him on social media. (laughs) Strange that. He did mention that during a tweet exchange on Friday morning with Saints fans, one of them that I went back to, I actually said, what they need to do is give Braja more playing time. I mean, he scores goals for Albania. He's going to score goals for Southampton if he's given opportunities. And you're absolutely right to mention Albania because the thing that really caught my eye recently was the goals against Hungary because they weren't garbage goals. They were winning goals. They were very important goals that he scored. And it was the calmness with which he took them that really caught the eye. And he does seem to be a finisher. He's a a focal point in attack, but he's also a very calm finisher. And that bodes really, really well. This is a guy that's waited for his chance. He's clearly hungry to do well. And that is massive. What I really want to know, and I want to know Ooh, from Crook, seeing as he's your South Coast expert, what is going on with Haas and Huttle suits? What what sparked this change? I really want to know. I know this. I, know the I answer think this. Sam's got the answer to this yeah. question. Oh, go on then, Sam. I've done you, you dirty there no, no, by no, no, asking no. Crooky. I got, I got a little bit sort of lucky during the summer. I was, uh, I was in Wales. And um, I was rung up by someone who said to me, can you speak to Ralph Harsenhut or do a big interview with Ralph Harsenhut? I said, yeah, no problem. And it was just after he'd done the Rupert the Bear trousers in uh, pre-season. You see those? Um, yes, I did. Very much. Everybody, everybody saw, saw those. those. Yeah, I mean, International Space Station <laughs> saw those. You beat me to it. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and I said to him, you know, what, what is it with this new sort of idea of, of wearing smart clothes? Because last year, it was, and the two years beforehand, very much the focal point was those very tight leggings they used to wear. Do you remember those tight grey <laughs> leggings they used to wear? Um, and he said to me, he gave me this big sort of thing about, because Nagelsmann does this as well, doesn't he? He wears that really outstanding clothes. Yeah. He, he sort of likes to stand out. He said, well, do you know what? I haven't been outside for 18 months. All I've done is work. All I've done is go to work for 18 months. I've had no social occasions. I'm quite a social guy. I like to express myself in my dress sense. And when I go out, I like to dress up. But because I can't do that anymore, and because I haven't been able to do it for so long, I'm going to do it on the touchline. I want to express myself. And that is what he's doing. Fantastic. That's what I wanted. That's the answer. That is the answer. And it, that was the best answer I think I've got all season from any manager. <laughs> um, mainly because he didn't walk off midway through an interview. Uh, right. Um, the Brogia finish was great. Tell me this. Should Diego Llorente have been red carded for what happened afterwards after the goal? Because if he misses that chance, that's a definite penalty in sending off. 
He's gone right through him recklessly, endangering the safety of his opponent. Now, Roger gets straight back up, runs off and celebrates. But that could have been a very dangerous situation. The ball was gone by at least half a second by the time he dived in. Yeah, and I think under the laws of the game, correct me if I'm wrong, as you're the uh, aficionado on this, it doesn't matter that the ball was in the back of the net. The referee could still have sent him off and therefore correct. should still have sent him correct. off because you say it was a dangerous tackle. So it has to go down as a refereeing error. Refereeing error and a VAR error as well because yep. they can get involved yep. in that. Yeah. Absolutely. I, you know, this is the interesting thing that, you know, we forget sometimes that they can give the referee a tap on the shoulder and say, look, I really think you should look at that again. And sometimes I think there is a feeling that because the goal was scored, you just wipe everything off. Yeah. But we actually see this more often than you'd think that kind of, you know, last it's challenges or what have you that catch players even if the goal is scored. And I do think that's something in general that referees need to be more aware of, that the actual game state isn't relevant sometimes. If it's violent or it's reckless or it's endangering the player, it has to be looked at and you have to act. It's dangerous. That was really dangerous. Um, Leeds are in a bit of danger as well. They were awful. The worst performance, I think, under Bielsa, they're calling it, in Yorkshire. Uh, there's mitigating circumstances because there's no Calvin Phillips, there's no Bamford, there's no Ailing. And there's no Rafinha. I mean, if you're Liverpool, you can deal with the fact that your Brazilian players aren't there because you've got so many other great players and you're playing Watford. But if you're Leeds United, your best player is not available because he's in Manaus less than 24 hours before you're about to kick off against Southampton. That is a major problem for you, Kevin. It is. And I think with Bielsa, it's all or nothing. So if you've got players injured, if you've got players that aren't fully fit, or if you've got players who are still learning what he wants, Julio Firpo is a great example of that. He's come in. Obviously, Daniel James has gone in there. It's going to take time because especially the situation with the wider players, the fullbacks and the wingers, they have more tactical things to learn than most of the other players on the team in Bielsa's system. And so it's going to take a while for them to get up to speed. I think if you have Bielsa as coach, you have to accept there are going to be runs of games where they're not winning. They're going to be runs of games where they're too easy to play against. They're going to be runs of games where you think, ah, this is actually starting to get a bit tight. But I think they need to stick with it. I think they'll be fine in the end. But Bielsa Ball does this. You have runs where it's going brilliantly. You have runs where it isn't. Everton nil, West Ham won. Crook commentated on this game on Sunday for TalkSport International and West Ham were out of the blocks very quickly, very fast. David Moyes goes back to Goodison Park, orchestrates not only another away win, but served up just their third shutout in 19 top flight matches. Where is Darren Lewis when you need him? Uh, Kurt Zuma was brilliant. He played a vital part, blocked that Damari Gray shot at the end of the game. Uh, but I think they'll probably be pleased about that more than anything else, Crook. Yeah, we, luckily Darren's not on this podcast and we didn't have that bet before this game. I have to say 1-0 sounds like a slender victory, dare I say smash and grab. It wasn't like that at all. Uh, West Ham, as you say, started like a house on fire. First 25 minutes, they dominated the game. Everton had a small spell at the end of the first half. Awobi missed a great chance from six yards, kicked in air, really sums up his Goodison Park career. Yeah. But apart from that, they never really looked like scoring. Dekure, Salam the header? In the first half from the free kick where he heads it down and it just sort of goes well wide of the goal. Yeah, you said it there, went well wide of the goal. I was just going to say about Salomon Rondon. He isn't Dominic Calvert-Lewin. He isn't Richarlison. Those two need to get back fit as soon as possible because actually the delivery from the wide areas, Damari Gray played well again. Townsend yeah. put in some great balls. I mean, that Townsend Rondon. cross for the Decore header was an absolute peach of a cross. And you were talking about Rondon. Iwobi's shot come cross, which goes through the six-yard box in the second half. If Calvert-Lewin's inside that 18-yard box, he, he snaffles that chance up at the far yeah. post. Yeah, and, and Rondon just doesn't seem to have the same striker's instinct. He did get a couple of headers away from crosses, but they lacked any real conviction. And I think what we're seeing now is, is how threadbare the Everton squad is. They had two goalkeepers on the bench. They had a, a young striker as well. Anthony Gordon came on still very much learning his trade. So I think... Um, Rafa Benitez will probably know that he needs most of his first 11 fit if they're going to seriously challenge at the top end of the table. In contrast, West Ham, excellent. You've mentioned Zuma. I've already said about Declan Rice. Antonio 
work rate and the physicality that he used against that Everton defence was outstanding. They're in a good place right now, West Ham, and that was a rare win for David Moyes over Rafa Benitez as well. He would have enjoyed it. There's a lovely balance about that West Ham team. They, they look solid at the back. Rice and Socek's a brilliant pairing because they've got a great understanding. When does one go? When does one stay? That's working really, really well. I love the flashiness behind Mikel Antonio. You know, Fornals, Ben Rama, Bowen's a player. He really is. He's got great technique. That three in behind, I think they're fabulous. I think in terms of balance, they look better than Manchester United. Now, obviously, individually, they're not. But in terms of the balance, they look more of a team and more of a unit than Manchester United do. Bowen's delivery from the set piece. 17 Premier League goals from set pieces since the start of last season. West Ham are the best record in the Premier League at that. Aston Villa 2, Wolves 3. What a final 10 minutes there was there. Um, 2-0 down to Aston Villa. In the 80th minute, Wolves score three goals from set pieces, culminating in a 95th minute deflected effort from Ruben Neves. That was a blinding finish to any football match, Kevin. That's why we love football, Sam, because it doesn't make any sense (laughs) sometimes. Yeah, unless you're a Villa fan. But Wolves had some bright moments. I thought Adama Traore had the most Adama Traore moment ever in the game when he went on this incredible mesmerising run (laughs) and just punted the ball straight at the goalkeeper. If he could finish... The guy are being the mix for the Ballon d'Or. All the stuff that goes before it is absolutely sensational. But Villa switched off. And you cannot do that at this level. They deservedly were 2-0 up. McGinn with another fantastic strike. I know it was deflected, but he can't hit a ball. And they were cruising, looking really good. But if you don't get the details right, if you don't defend set pieces well enough, you will come unstuck. And that happened not once, not twice, but three times. And so you have to give Wolves immense credit for the way they stuck at it. And I think they kind of deserve a bit of luck in a way because I think under Bruno Lage, they've played far better than the results that they've got. And so maybe there's a bit of evening out here. Uh, Crook, I I wonder whether or not Adama Traore is the only person that you would pass a pint to because you know he's not going to finish it. <laughs> Love that, uh, but I wouldn't give a pint to anybody. You, you, you know that. Um, but I'll, I'll just echo what Kev was saying, really, uh, about Wolves. I do take a vested interest because I've got a family member who's a huge Wolves fan, so he tells me you can't exactly what's interest at every club. <laughs> he tells me exactly what's going on at Molyneux, even when I don't really want to know. Um, but they have played good football under Bruno Lars. They've played better football this season than they did last under Nuno Espirito Santo. Uh, they're clearly a group of players who are committed to their manager. They're buying into what he's trying to do. We saw that with the team spirit they showed and the frantic nature of the celebrations at the end of the game. 12 points from the last 15 available after losing two of their first three games. A bit unlucky um, with those defeats. I think it's going to be a good season for Wolves. I'm not saying they're necessarily challenged for the European places, but it's going to be a much better season than it was last. And Villa are just a bit topsy-turvy at the moment. You don't know what to expect. Lost at home to Watford, hammered Everton, looked like they were on their way back. Brilliant win at Old Trafford and then brought right back down to earth with this performance. Manchester City beat Burnley by just two goals to nil. I mean, it's a bit of a letdown, really, uh, because it's broken the run of 5 nil victories that they were racking up. Um, look, Manchester City actually rested half their first team for this game, but Bernardo Silva was absolutely fantastic. Uh, hard to believe they wanted to ship him off in the summer, Kevin. Well, there was an element of him wanting to go as well because uh, he felt that he wasn't necessarily going to get regular first-team football. And it was interesting listening to him talk about Raheem Sterling's situation because he said that, you know, sometimes you're not in the team and you have to work hard and try and get back in. And that's where Sterling is right now. So, you know, I, I talked about, you know, having to really dig in at a high level with Timo Werner. Everybody has to do that at City. You know, if you're going to play on a regular basis, you're not safe. Obviously, De Bruyne maybe is. There are, and maybe the goalkeeper. Apart from that, there aren't many that are absolutely nailed on. So you have to work hard. You have to dig in. thought Burnley had a couple of bright moments, actually. thought Maxwell Cornet should have done better uh, when he raced clear. That could have made it 1-1 and maybe a different situation. I didn't think City were as good as they normally would be. But it's a fine result, and and they do look a, a real threat, as you'd expect. Was really impressed with the way they dug in in that second half at Anfield, uh, and they look sharp. Few scares, yes. Uh, before De Bruyne added the second goal with 20 minutes to go, and Burnley still without a league win this season. As are 
Norwich, nil-nil against Brighton, and they could have lost the game, Crook, as well, if the VAR Peter Banks had given a penalty for Neil Mope. Um, should he have done? Yeah, I think he probably should. Uh, it's another one of those where you, you, you're scratching your head as to how it isn't given. I know that this season they don't want to award as many spot kicks as they did last, but that looked yeah. pretty clear-cut to me. But they did have chances, Norwich, and I guess it just really illustrates the lack of quality. I thought Sargent should have done a lot better with his chance. <laughs> it was almost like he wasn't expecting a Brighton defender to try and get back there with the way he just almost casually stroked it goalwards. And Timu Puki is really struggling as well, isn't he? It makes you wonder now if his first spell in the Premier League was just a purple patch and actually he is just a player who scores goals in the championship. You can't really see where Norwich's next win is coming from. But let's talk about Brighton's defensive record at the moment. They barely conceded a goal. They sold Benjamin White. He's done an Andrew Cole on us and suddenly decided that no, he was Benjamin no. and not Ben. Has he? When did he do yeah. that? He did that at the end of last week in a television oh. interview. Was that when he said he doesn't watch any football? Yes, he did. Oh, yeah, he also said that. Are kidding me? He's never getting in the England squad now. That's it. <laughs> uh, but they sold him. Adam Webster, who arguably was their best defender last season, is injured. And yet they've still got this solidity. I guess... If you're being hyperly critical, you would say this was Brighton from last season in that they've kept a clean sheet and they've not won the game. But it's a point that, that keeps okay. them keeps them up there. Um, let's talk about that Josh Sargent miss. He's absolutely devastated about it. He knows he should have scored, Kevin. But you've told us he's not going to. No, he's not a finisher, Sam. Doesn't score goals. Runs around a lot. Works hard. Tactically responsible. Nice kid. Can't score goals. And you look at his record in the Bundesliga. Not good enough. Didn't save Werder Bremen from relegation. Milot Rashica, the same. Went missing, really, in that relegation battle. They went down. He made the move to Norwich and hasn't really done anything. And you've effectively, if you're Norwich, brought a water pistol to a gunfight. And they're in big, <laughs> big trouble. Don't tell because... Brian Gunn, because he'll be after you as well, mate. <laughs> it's quite appropriate, these called Gunn. He, lo he loves uh... a gunfight, by the way. <laughs> the Josh Sargent thing is typical of him, because... He's got very little confidence at the moment, but he just doesn't have that killer instinct in front of goal, and we've seen this before. But Teimu Puki as well, you know, you have to give him immense credit for what he's done with Finland, scored more goals than Yari Lippmann for Finland. I mean, wow, that is very, very impressive. However, I mean, it was like, you know, a, a horse and cart against a Ferrari, and Dan Byrne isn't the quickest, let's be fair, but... Got a great leg stripe, though, hasn't he? I mean, he's, you know... Oh, he has. Yeah, you know, he one has. of his steps is like seven of mine. Yeah, there was a gazelle element to it, and so he was able to nip in, knock the ball away, and they just don't have any quality in the stack, uh, and that is a massive problem. If they were defensively brilliant, they could get away with it, but they're not. Have they uh, scored so, a goal yet? Like a proper one, not a penalty. Have they scored an actual goal yet? It's hard to think of one, isn't it? I'm, I'm trying to dig in and think of this good, genuine goal. See, but Buendia, Buendia made his first start, didn't he, for Villa uh, at the weekend in the Premier League. And he's, they don't have his creativity He's, the, he's thinking either. to himself, thank God I got out of there. Yeah, because what a grim season it would be. I, I just think, I know Crookie got a lot of heat at the start of the season for what he said about Norwich. And I don't agree that they're gaming the system per se. I think they're no. just being very careful. However we get to the same end point, which is they don't have a squad which is anywhere near competitive in the Premier League. They have scored, scored one goal. Yeah, two goals, one from open play. Yeah, one one proper goal. They've scored a penalty and a proper goal, yeah. See, I should know that because according to half of East Anglia, you're, I'm, you're I'm Nor Norwich are living in my head rent-free. Not quite the case. If Norwich was living in your head rent-free, what would be the place in Norwich that you visited first? The local brewery, obviously. <laughs> They've got a very good geek course, so that's where I'd be they going. They have, yeah. And they've got like a... The, the, the castle's quite nice as well, isn't it? The grounds up there are quite nice. It's actually quite a nice city, actually. A nice little it is. city, yeah. Um, it's just a very, very long way to go. But don't I worry about I might get that. a chance to go there next week. I doubt it. You know, if we have a talk sport 2 commentary in the Championship on Tuesday or Wednesday night. Next week? I don't think they're going to go down Sorry. that quickly. I know they're Sorry, going down fast, but they're not going to go down that quickly. <laughs> have you demoted them instantly, Alex? <laughs> I didn't realise you had that kind of clout. Wow. <laughs> I clearly meant next season. It would have been a good gag. I'd have delivered it. <laughs> 
Damn. Uh, right, okay, thank you very much to both of you for uh, giving us up your time uh, late tonight. Um, and we'll be back on Thursday afternoon previewing all the weekend's action, including Norwich, actually, who will feature on game day next week. Uh, make sure you stay tuned to TalkSport for all the Champions League action in midweek and in the Europa League as well. Crook, what have you got Europa League-wise this week? I've got a busy week, actually. Um, I'm at Swansea on Wednesday night in the Championship. Swansea West Brom, who have started the season well. And then Tottenham in the Europa Conference League on Thursday, the big competition in Europe this season. I forgot that was still going. Kevin, are you, what, what, what are you doing? I'm doing Bayern, actually, uh, I, on Wednesday night, so I'll give you a call on Wednesday to get some information. Ah, that'll be exciting. Yes, indeed. Uh, I am part of UEFA's commentary team for Liverpool against Atletico, so I'm very much looking forward to that. <sighs> I'm doing that one as well. Okay, we can swap notes. Right, okay. Uh, that's it from the Game Day podcast for uh, today. Uh, make sure you, you download the... Uh, preview podcast on Thursday and it will be out around about tea time uh, and make sure you tell your friends about it. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.